Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast with FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hey, y'all. We also have Bill Graham. Shh. <laughs> I like that Bill shushed it right as that the song That blew my ears out. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's fade that out. All right, we also have a special guest with us today to talk about A Quiet Place uh, Part 2. That's John Negroni. What's happening? Not a lot. What is up with you? Mm, literally nothing at all. Um, <laughs> all right. It's been very quiet over here. Oh, so quiet. Um, Thematic. <laughs> coming, coming to us from a quiet place, uh, it's John Negroni. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Tell people a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. So my name is John Negroni and I am the co-host of Cinemaholics, which is a, a movie review podcast where we talk about all kinds of movies. And so I just spent the last hour talking about The Conjuring uh, universe with my co-host Will Ashton and also disappointing him because i didn't like all light everywhere as much as he did so he was so upset he disconnected from our podcast in a rage no i'm just kidding we had connectivity issues but oh, yeah. <laughs> i was like because i think that's happened before on our podcast. yeah that's happened on ours uh you know it wasn't it wasn't a hard cut it was definitely a you guys need to find someone else to talk about this because i'm gonna leave type of thing mm-hmm. sometimes counseling is the best choice and so we are going to explore that thank you for bringing that up but um yeah yeah and uh I, I talk about movies all the time and I, I freelance write as a critic for the spool awards watch the young folks and a bunch of other places. So I, I'm all over the place in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we are here today to talk about a quiet place part two, uh, the sequel to a quiet place um, written and directed by John Krasinski and starring Emily M. Oh, yeah. I'm back at my house, which means I am exhausted, of course. So if I uh, trip over very simple words, I apologize in advance. Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, and uh, a new addition to this um, entry into the franchise, uh, Killian Murphy. So super excited about that. Before we do that, let's uh, talk about the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. And, of course, you can email us, podcastfilmstage.com, or give us a comment and a rating on iTunes to let us know how you think we are doing. And you can go to our Patreon, at patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow, to give us your money and help support this podcast. Uh, that will also give you access to our super-secret Slack channel and first crack at a bunch of our awesome raffles. I should also remind people that this episode of The Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe every day. Movies Fabulous Curators premiere a new film, whether it's a Thomas Classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of, and there will always be something new to discover. Um, a film that I won't shut up about once you get me started on it is Last Year at Marion Bad, and that is being added to the platform. Um, 
I'm going to read the copy that they have here because I honestly don't know if I could even summarize this film on my own. Perhaps the most famous of puzzle films, this is a time-warping, space-shifting drama of fantasy and memory from Alain René. Inspired by Hitchcock, last year at Marion Bad dares to experiment with disjunctive chronology while expressively fusing the past with the present. Um, another thing about movie, however, that we wanted to bring up is that they have started a podcast. Perhaps they were inspired by us. Um, but yes, anyway, I'm going to assume that people have room in their life for one more movie podcast. Um, this is the movie podcast. And uh, their first episode just launched. It's a deep dive into Paul Verhoeven's second feature, Turkish Delight. Um, and that actually is uh, kind of what this whole movie podcast is about. Um this season of the podcast is spotlighting movies that were massive cultural phenomena in their home countries, but nowhere else. So these are not the crossover hits. These are the deep cuts that only really touched base uh, with people uh, to whom they were first presented. So that's actually super interesting um, because that means that a bunch of these are probably going to be movies that most people either haven't heard of or haven't seen or have felt have been underrepresented in movie dialogue. So... Make sure to check that out anywhere that you find uh, podcasts. And if you don't know how to find podcasts, I don't know how you're listening to this, but your life is very fascinating to me. So again, uh, if you'd like a free 30-day trial movie, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, don't forget to check out the movie podcast. Wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. All right. Um, so that is that. Um, before we get into our thing, uh, how's how's everyone doing? How's everyone's life going? It's been like two weeks since we've spoken. Um, I was on vacation. There was scheduling stuff. And we just decided, hey, fuck it. Let's just take a weekend off. And we didn't tell anyone. And no one yelled at us. So I assume everyone was cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. We were busy watching A Quiet Place Part 2. Multiple times in theaters if you look at the box office. Oh my god! I know. I was I was excited to see the box office. Uh, I was also just super excited to get back into theaters. Mm-hmm. I went Ditto. to a public screening of this movie. I uh, got some popcorn. I sat with my uh, my nephew, my brother in law, and my actual brother, and um, we sat in a the theater with a bunch of other people, and we watched A Quiet Place, and it uh, fucking ruled. <laughs> and um, I had a bunch of crunch. In addition to the popcorn and soda. And um, yeah, I was uh, super psyched to be there. And I can't wait to go back again Woo-hoo. for whatever the next movie that's a theater is that looks good as. <laughs> so you had Bunch of Crunch, Popcorn. You chose Violence for this Quiet Place screening. Mm-hmm. Because if you had been sitting next to like, anywhere near me, I would have been enraged. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I didn't. I, so I got the popcorn, right, with my brother. I'm like, you want to split a popcorn? Like, I usually don't even get food or drink during a movie. But I was like, I'm back at the movies, baby. I'm at this I'm weird, back, baby. I'm at this weird, like, four screen cinema off of some coastal highway in North Carolina. Let's uh, let's go. Let's go hog wild. So I got that. And he and I basically finished the popcorn before the movie started. Um, and then I didn't eat the bunch of crunch until the movie was over and we sat through the credits. Hmm. Relatable. Yeah. Were people wearing masks? Uh, no. How'd you feel about that? I also was not wearing a mask, so I felt <gasps> pretty good about it. I am vaccinated. The CDC says it's okay. <sighs> I went to Home Depot today in, in Maryland, outside of DC, and I was like, I don't need to wear a mask, right? No, I'm, I'm fine. <gasps> I walked in, I was the only person not wearing a mask, and I was like, I wanted to be like, I got vaccinated. It's fine. I'm cool. 
And I'm not yeah, just like a person who's entitled and didn't never wore a mask in the first place. I fucking and, and never masker. Right. I like I like pulled a T-shirt that I sometimes wore out of my car. Like I had like a random extra T-shirt. Right. Like the day that they said like, hey, we are thinking that we're maybe going to make a mask mandate. I pulled it out of the car, cut it into strips and made a mask for myself and my daughter. And like, so like, I'm, I've been on the mask train, man. You know, when they said to do it, I did it. But now they're saying I don't have to. And I was like, I thought we were all good with it. Because again, I was in North Carolina for two weeks. And um, honestly, I don't know if everyone there even waited to hear from the CDC that that was a cool thing to do. That's the issue. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely became a thing where I was like, like, looking at each other and being like, like that that Spider Man image. Like, did you get vaccinated? Did you <laughs> yeah. get vaccinated? And it's just like, because I did. And it's like, yeah, I imagine like half of the people that say like, don't worry about it. I got vaccinated. Didn't get vaccinated. And we should definitely be worried about it. <laughs> it's just I like guess, those my my mask is like a security blanket, like Linus. At this well, so point, like, I I was curious about that because like feel safe. Right. It, I think that for a lot of people, it just is a thing that has come to represent like feeling safe. And for me, it was never that. I always hated it. I never enjoyed it. And I constantly forgot about it. Like I, there were so many times and I like got to the door of a place and I was like, what am I missing? Stroking my beard and then being like, oh, right. I shouldn't be able to touch that. I've got to go get my mask. <laughs> like I just I like God. Thank God I have 2020 vision because if I had to wear fucking glasses, I'd be dead by now. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm just, I was like, yeah, like it's, I know it's not over, but like I've checked all the boxes to be a person that doesn't have to wear a mask anymore. So like, let's fucking rock and roll. Let's not wear masks. (laughs) I read something today and I am vaccinated and everything. And I was also like very cautious and I would wear triple masks and I was like crazy person. (laughs) But I did read today that 97% of the cases that are still ongoing are among communities that are not vaccinated or not. So it's it's almost like a, a bifurcated America in some ways. Just in the U.S. Obviously, the U.S. is the one that has the most uh, vaccines available. So yeah, um, I just thought that was very interesting because you know there there was so much fear around uh, the internet interconnected communities, but that it, it was ninety seven percent of 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 cases that are still among people who are not vaccinated. Yeah. It shouldn't be surprising, but you know who knows. No, I mean that. I mean the vaccine is apparently like ninety eight percent effective, so that pans out, I guess. Yeah, I'm yeah. not a mathematician. Don't quote me on that. But no, like <laughs> I, again, I'm, again, I'm not. I, I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm not the type of person who was like, what was that stupid thing that someone in Florida said, where it's like you're covering God's perfect lungs or whatever. <laughs> I was trying just because I was standing God's perfect in, popcorn lungs. I was standing in Home Depot and I was just like, yeah, uh, I'm not like I've already got the string that I need for my string trimmer. Um, I'm not going to go back to the car just to get a mask to buy this. I'm just going to get out as quick as I can. And I was like, what were all the stupid things that people who didn't want to wear masks said? And it's like, oh, like, you know, God has created these perfect lungs and it's like this satanic plot to keep us from you. And I was like. Yeah, people are going to think that I'm that guy, and um, I'm not, and uh, that sucks, but I just really need to get this Hmm. string and go home and uh, edge, because when you let your lawn go for two weeks, because you don't feel like paying a neighborhood kid to do it while you're gone, your house looks abandoned. (laughs) Mm, I guess I believe you, but 
Oh. <laughs> I, hey, look, I did. I did my civic duty. I posted a picture of my vaccine card on Facebook. <laughs> thank wow. you, thank you, thank you. Um, I did John, not take a selfie with it, though. I will say that. Oh well, you're not cool then. No, no, I couldn't make that. You're the week. guy that didn't go to prom, huh? Uh, I went to prom. I just uh, went alone and uh, didn't talk to anyone. So there's no pictures of me there, which makes it even sadder because <laughs> it's just like I shouldn't have gone at all. Um, but yeah, no. So like I said, I went to the movie theaters. I didn't wear a mask. I don't know. There's just a point where, you know, you've just got to. Life is never going to be totally safe. You know, I, I again, when this thing started, I made hand sanitizer and started handing it out in hot zones like my fucking ex-wife was over here all the time and she had covid and spent like the four days before she finally went to see a doctor breathing on my daughter and all of my stuff like what the fuck? i've been i've been through the ringer i just i wanted to go see a movie and not wear a mask and uh the government said it was okay and uh, the government's no longer run by a maniac and so i did it <laughs> i'm not excoriating you i was I just feel curious. attacked <laughs> i didn't say anything I will say waiting, waiting for the comments. This is the episode that gets me canceled. Uh, people are going to claim that I voted for Trump. People are going to think I'm a QAnon supporter. Um, they're going to find the episodes where I jokingly talk about the flat earth and they're not going to know it's a lie. And the hollow earth. I'm not really a hollow earth person. I think I made that clear mm. on the, uh, the King Kong mm. episode. <laughs> oh, John, I'm sorry, where are you Kong located? Episode. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, okay. Where, like, literally, I think 80% of people around here have at least gotten one dose. So, like, our cases are super down. But I'm still, like, double masking. Right, but here. everyone's still wearing a mask. It, yeah. I mean, it's so it's so much safer than, you know, it was. But, like, this is the thing is, like, I don't enjoy it. But I just, it still makes me feel safe. It's kind of like putting a seatbelt on. Like, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I'll do that, even if I'm like parked and I'm not going to move. You know? Okay, <laughs> all right. I was on your I was on your side until you said parked and not moving. Like, do you mean like what at a drive-in movie mind? or? No, no, no. I'm I'm exaggerating. If, okay. I'm, if I'm at the drive-in, I'm reclining, and you know that's yeah, yeah. You know, I had to uh, I had to take my cat to the vet today, and um, you know, they're still doing the thing where you got to wait in the car, and um, I was like there for like an hour. And I had to get something out of my pocket. Um, I think, yeah, it was my chapstick. And I was like, oh, man, like, I got to move this belt. And then I was like, I have been parked in this parking lot for an hour. Why am I still wearing my seatbelt? And I felt, I did feel weird then sitting in the driver's seat without a seatbelt on. I will say that. But I've been doing that a long, long time. And a mask was a very recent thing that I have never found to be fun or comfortable. So, I don't know. But yeah, I'm not one of those people. I didn't, I didn't like stand in the middle of home depot saying sheep you know don't you believe in science like i'm not that type of person i'm you know if if they don't like and if someone had said where's your mask i would have been like oh i'm sorry i thought like i'm vaccinated i know you have no way of proving that um but if you go to my facebook and look a month ago uh you'll see a picture <laughs> um Some people were like like saying that you know they were gonna just carry around their vaccine card which like i have it in my car but i'm like what are we doing this again for like some people were talking about like laminating it and i'm just like no that's that's ridiculous i know people who talked about like putting it on a lanyard i know my father joked about how he was gonna actually just have a series of t-shirts with um his his vaccine card screen printed on it (laughs) that's funny well my partner got us oh go ahead go Go ahead. ahead no no 
my my partner got us these like super official CDC approved um, animal COVID nineteen vaccinated buttons. So mine's a little fox, and so it's pretty mm-hmm. official. Like I put that on like my shirt, and you see it, and it's like it doesn't have the stamp of the CDC, but like you look at the fox, and you're like, okay, right, like that's that's a button that was made on a budget. That's so a- clearly. <laughs> That is a clever animal. Um, And the cleverest people have gotten vaccinated. I'm enjoying it so much. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so like I said, like, I'm not about to like start standing in the middle of a Home Depot telling people that remove their masks because Stolen Green is people. And like, if someone had brought it up with me, I would have been apologetic. I wouldn't have suddenly been like a person in a YouTube video, but, um, yeah, it was weird. It was, it was just, again, so weird. I, I, when I realized what was happening, it was like a panic dream where like, you're like, Oh, um, I'm not wearing pants. And also why has no one else ever brought up to me that I haven't been wearing pants? Like, why has everyone been cool with me walking around? Like, I don't think I need to wear pants. (laughs) And that's deeper than a quiet place. Part two. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, so let's talk about A Quiet Place Part 2. Um, a movie in which one of the characters does indeed wear a mask. Um, because he, he likewise has not been able to give it up. Um, this movie, uh, like I said, sequel to A Quiet Place, if you couldn't have guessed from the title. And this, uh, like the previous one, was directed by John Krasinski. Um, this one was uh, also written by John Krasinski. And it stars Emily Blunt, Killing Murphy, and Millicent Simmons. Uh, amongst a couple of other familiar faces that maybe we'll talk about as time goes on. And um, it is in theaters right now. Uh, you can go out and you can see it if theaters near you are open and you are feeling brave. And uh, you can either wear a mask or not wear a mask, depending on your vaccinated state. And, of course, the laws in your local municipality. And uh, don't be a dick to people. All right. So uh, here is the trailer. <laughs> trailer for a quiet place part two and we're here to talk about it uh as always we begin uh with our basic nutshell spoiler free thoughts before moving into spoiler section um you know so just be aware of that so let's start john what were your uh basic all-around thoughts on a quiet place part two yeah so one one thing that i've kind of taken upon myself incidentally over the last year since haven't been in a theater uh, until watching this movie. This is like my big return to the theater, uh, which was really cool. And one of the things I've kind of like developed is this sort of like aversion to trailers. So I haven't been watching them. And so I've been kind of going into movies a little bit more fresh. And this movie in particular, I had seen parts of, I think like the intro prologue, I think because it, it was a trailer that came out before the pandemic happened. Cause this movie was like right there like yeah. right on the line of when we were supposed to be like business as usual. And, you know, the premiere had already happened and then Krasinski and company decided to like delay this out. And so to me, it's like, it's weird. It's like being in like a time capsule instead of a movie theater, because I'm watching something that was definitely not designed to be interpreted or absorbed in a sort of 
ongoing, but also sort of maybe post-pandemic reality, at least here in North America. I know it's very different in other countries right now. So I'm kind of watching this movie and I can't help but sort of be like, you know, like kind of shaken by what I'm seeing. The fact that I can't believe I'm seeing the picture so big. I can't believe I'm watching a movie with like dozens of other people for the first time in over a year, which hasn't happened for me since I was a little kid. You know, I've gone that long. And all the while, I'm kind of watching a pretty standard like sequel to a movie that I thought was really good. I really liked the first Quiet Place. And this one was kind of exactly what I expected, I guess, in a good way. It didn't deviate too much from the tension and the atmosphere that they're kind of going for. It's still kind of like, in my opinion, a bit of a flavorless world, except for it's a gimmick. Like, you know, another thing that I kind of picked up over the last year was uh, The Last of Us Part Two, right? And like, mm. you know, that kind of post-apocalyptic world is so just unique and it, there's such a strain to it. And here it's it's different. It's like a, a blockbuster version of that sort of thing. And I think that it peaks a bit in the very beginning because it's full tilt on this like day one sequence. And then it kind of settles into being a continuation again. And I like a lot of aspects of it. I like what they decide to do with the positioning of certain characters. I think uh, Millie Simmons is as good as ever in these movies. Uh, I happen to be a deaf individual myself. I use hearing aids. So I'll just, I'll just say like, like the first movie, watching people use hearing aids to feed monsters, I'm in. Like that is like... Yes, because I never get to see that. <laughs> it's just like kind of like a cool way to like flip the script on this disability. And so, yeah, it's it's ultimately, I think, um, a movie that really delivers. I, my only criticism, honestly, with it that's like substantial is the fact that it it just kind of ends. And I was a mm-hmm. bit kind of like, oh, that's a weird plot structure that we just went through. And I felt like something was kind of missing. And I'm not really 100% sure what that was yet. All right. Rumbar, you were making a lot of affirmative noises during many parts of that. Uh, so why don't you tell us what you thought of A Quiet Place Part 2? Yeah, um, I I actually really related to a lot of what John shared, um, except that I didn't love the first movie. Um, it Not that I, I hated it or anything. I didn't think it was a bad movie by any means. I just remember coming out of it being like, okay, that was fine. Um, but you know, to to what you're describing, John, about just the power of being in the theater for a film that it is so reliant on its sound design. Um, it was really just like a great experience. I had just seen Cruella, so that was my first movie back in the theaters, and I really loved that. That is a movie that you got to see on the big screen because it is so visually uh, remarkable, especially with its costuming. But what I really enjoyed about being in The Quiet Place or in the quiet place theater um, was just being sort of hit in that Dolby (laughs) um, powerful reverberations, all of the, um, you know, explosions and and what have you. Uh, That was, it was really nice to be in a very tense film as opposed to being in my house, which although I do value being able to watch things at home um, and I've written about that, it's just a very different experience. So I, I do think that um, A Quiet Place is elevated when you can see it in the theater. Um, but I, I ultimately agree with you in that it kind of feels unfinished. I was, I'm, I'm with it. You know, I was paying attention. I didn't feel bored. Um, I was starting to get maybe like a little annoyed at the, 
like I think the way you describe this is very well. It's almost like the colorlessness of the universe. Like even the the monsters themselves just you know, we get it, you're screechy, like what else <laughs> do you have to to give here? Um and I also struggled a little bit with some of the child performances, um, because I was just like, ugh, is the only way to express your fear to just like have really wide eyes. I okay, you know, there's gotta be something else here. So I just kept getting like annoyed by little things like that, and then ultimately the fin- the movie just sort of falls off a cliff like literally you're like okay that that's it <laughs> um so i don't know filler in between is this a trilogy I, probably i don't know it it just kind of feels like a, a webisode uh in in the way that it just feels kind of like not it's not its own movie but trying to get you to someplace else that's well i mean right. so it, it it will be at least a trilogy, right? Jeff Nichols just signed on for the next one or a yeah, one. But that's what feels manipulative about it. Like, you know, you're as I was as I as the movie ended, I was just like, oh, this is just trying to get me my my ass into another seat. Like, okay, it just yeah. But I mean, like, it's, uh, you know, not not to defend this movie, which we'll get to my feelings on. But like, uh, unfortunately, like, I think that I don't know. The last fifteen years of movie watching have like deadened me to that like it's just like you might be right i just in this particular case it because of the way the ending happened i just was so annoyed about it that it made me feel more manipulated than say like harry potter movie seven part one or whatever (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it was just yeah it was okay bill graham all right so um, I really enjoyed the first one, so I'll go ahead and get that one out of the way. Uh, I thought what it did with sound was obviously fairly unique. Um, I remember having a very, very just vivid uh, experience in a theater where uh, I had seen it, I think, on like a Thursday afternoon. Um, I was in between uh, work assignments and I had a, a good amount of time. And so I went to go see it in the middle of the day on a weekday. And uh, I think there was like three other people that showed up to the screening as as it happens during a weekday. Um, and I think one person ha- ordered some food and had it delivered and they were eating it as quiet as possible. <laughs> And I absolutely loved it. Like, like they were waiting until like loud things were happening to like eat and like move about. And as soon as it got quiet, they were kind of like, okay, I'm stuck. Whatever pose I'm in, like my food is halfway to my mouth, you know, and, uh, you know, it it may not have been as dramatic as that, but it was, it was a lot of fun to kind of have that joint experience of shut the fuck up and let's watch this stupid movie and, uh, and, and enjoy it as much as we can. And, uh, so it was fairly unique in that way. And, uh, this film, sort of does that but it also just completely goes in, in in an opposite direction in a lot of ways this one's a lot louder this one's a lot more noisy there's a lot of other things that are happening where so much of the first film was quiet looks at each other and just expressions and things like that um this film was very much noisy and loud and people are 
clearly talking to each other, which is, you know, I, I don't necessarily need them to rehash the same things, but I feel like it loses some of that special sauce that made the first one so such a interesting theater experience, at least. Um, that being said, I think this film, what it does well is it gets in and it gets out. Um, the first one was 90 minutes. This one is like 97 minutes, which is just, you know, again, if you know me, you know that I am all about that efficiency and get the hell in and get the hell out. And, uh, you know, this one isn't a uh, bloated sequel. You can tell that they really kind of refined it and worked on it. Um, I think Millicent Simmons and uh, Killian Murphy are just fantastic in this. Um, I really enjoy their performance. And if you don't know that much about the film, uh, they kind of play off each other a lot. And uh, I like their dynamics. And uh, yeah, overall, I was... I was impressed that a film as unique as the first one was could even service a sequel. Um, it reminds me a lot of how Alien uh, led to Aliens. This is not nearly as you know top tier kind of quality as that kind of you know uh, sequel, but uh, definitely it reminds me where you're kind of like, okay, the first one is so different than the second one in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, uh, bravo to them for continuing to uh, get something out of this uh, kind of franchise that it's going to inevitably become. Yeah, um, as for me, I mean, I. I loved the first movie. Um, I wrote a giant thing about it. I was on this podcast, I'm pretty sure, and said as much um, that I really quite liked it. I remember the woman next to me in the theater uh, during the first movie, like just crying because she was so tense <laughs> during it. Um, Jesus. Yeah, she she was she was you know not having a great time with it. Um, and then just uh, walking out of the movie after I th I'm pretty sure I saw it like the first day it was released and I was like, Oh hum. I wonder if this is going to be good. I didn't even think it would be a hit. And then walking out, I was like, Oh, this movie's going to make a shit ton of money because <laughs> everyone could not stop. You know, yeah, like we've all been to movies, uh, even if it's been a while, but like you walk out of a theater and like, sometimes people are like, yeah, it was all right. You know, like it was pretty good. And uh, we're like, we're going to get Mexican Mexican for lunch. Mm -hmm. Give time. Yeah. But like, this movie, people were like, oh, my fuck. Like, gee, oh, my God, my heart. And I just like I was I just and like a shotgun, you know, um, just like <laughs> the, it was the best. It's the, it's the type of thing you want, because even though I wasn't talking to these people, I still felt like a, a piece of them. Um, and so it was it was kind of like the perfect thing to make this my first movie back in theaters, um, because, again, I was just in a room full of strangers. Everyone was trying to be as quiet as goddamn possible. Um which is great. I, I don't even think there was a single cell phone that went off. Um, so apparently people found some manners in quarantine. And um, yeah, I just I had a I had a really good time with this. I think that obviously I mean, I won't say obviously because sometimes sequels are better than originals. But I think the original is, is a little better. Um, I still found a lot to enjoy here. Um, I think Millicent Simmons is 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 incredible in these movies. Um, I, I love Killian Murphy. Just super happy to always see him pop up. And, um, you know, Emily Blunt is, is a good, you know, just friggin' sub rock solid lead in this. I think that the, 
it, it maybe does like just because there's so much that you you're kind of curious about in terms of how everything went down like that first scene that takes place on day zero or day one um is almost like a, a moment the movie can never meet again though i think it comes damn close in like three different sections um this movie is not afraid to put people in danger that you don't want to see in danger um and uh yeah i don't know i just i had a really good time with it i do think that um it, it is a little louder. It is a little more frenetic. It's a little more action than suspense. But I think that, you know, like, like Bill said, honestly, with the, uh, the aliens, alien to aliens thing, like you can't quite do the same thing again. And honestly, the fact that the first movie ended with them figuring out a way to kill, um, the creatures necessitates that like, there will be more open confrontation this time. Um, mm-hmm. more of a sense of like agency than just like a cat and mouse game. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of appreciated that. Like, I appreciate that one, you know, without without really spoiling anything, like one of the first moments of true danger in this movie then involves like, you know, the setting up the way to to kill them again, you know, and to, to make it happen. And I think that the first movie was a lot about parenting, um, a lot about the, the adaptations that a parent creates in order to shuttle their child safely through the world. And I, I like that this movie is... Um, like a parents seeing the the fruits of their labor in the way that their children are able to meet those challenges, not just without them, but in the name of like keeping them safe. So like, you know, the torch is passed, you know, to light the way to the future for both of them and, and to carry the load for both of them. Now that the parent might, you know, for whatever reason, the parent can't keep doing that, you know, whether it be age or just any, any kind of other problem going on. So like, I, I think that just because of who I was back when I saw the original, um, the concept of like, this is what we as parents must do to keep our children safe and ensure a future for them. I was like, that hit me a little more. I'm sure like in, mm. in 10 years, <laughs> I'll feel this one a little more. Um, but I will definitely say that like, there is an, a- you know, I, I don't want to be one of those people. It's like, Oh, you'll get it if you have children. But like, I do believe that there is an aspect of this movie that is enhanced by the fact that like, I can directly lay my uh, experiences as a father onto these movies in particular in that way. <laughs> it's like tree of life. Oh yeah. I mean, mm. on it, like, you know, it's, it's anytime that you have any kind of, you know, close emotional connection to a movie, it's going to hit a little different as the, uh, the kids on TikTok say. Um, and so, yeah, okay. it's, uh, a <laughs> it's, you know, this, this one does because again, I, I am a dad and I have, I have those, uh, those things in, in me you know those aspects of my life happen (laughs) so yeah i mean i i get 100 percent what you're saying brian because i don't have kids but i do have tamagotchi and (laughs) yes those fucking about them a lot they're so loud they wouldn't they wouldn't last for a second i just kept thinking these kids like are too dumb for their own good (laughs) like this is this is where evolution takes its toll on society uh, I did like that kid who is a baby and lives in a box and has like the oxygen over its nose. Like that, that baby's cool. That they're, kid they're stayed in his lane. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I understand where you're coming from, Brian. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so l- let's let's talk about the kids real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, and since I think since I th- Robin threw down the gauntlet that they're idiots. Let's talk about yeah. the children. Um, 
I, I do think, and it carries over from the first film, uh, the, the, I think his name is Noah Jupe. Um, and yeah, I can't yeah, remember. Honey his, yeah. yeah, I can't. Wonder, I can't his, he's great in that. I can't remember his name in the film, but, uh, and they actually Marcus. don't use, they don't Thank use you. their names very often. That's one thing that kind of carries over from the first film as well, because, you know, there's not a lot of speaking to each other and it's just kind of like you person, like I'm speaking towards you. So listen up, right? Like mm-hmm. the, you're not going to speak across the room at somebody or something like that. Like, yo, throw me them keys. You know, it's, that's not going to happen. So, um, you know, you're usually in close proximity, but, uh, his character was kind of annoying in the first film. And I say annoying in a sense of there's always going to be characters that you kind of have to have that are going to fuck up, right? There's, and there's usually expendable characters that you kind of set up, right? That's, that's what a lot of horror films do. That's what a lot of these thrillers do is they kind of set up periphery characters so that they can kind of set them up and knock them down. And uh, the first film doesn't really do that, right? There's there's not a lot of... Uh, well, it's a fairly small cast. They do it in the first scene. Sure. But again, like that's that sets it up, that knocks it down, and then from there on, we move on, right? And so now we have these other characters that kind of, okay, now we are kind of honed in on them and we got to protect them and everything like that. And so I feel like there's always got to be that kind of fall guy right um and i feel like noah jupe's character is definitely that character but and in particular in that first film but in this film i feel like at times he is doing things that aren't necessarily out of line that there's just a breakdown in communication that needs to happen. Um, at one point, uh, you know, Emily Blunt's character kind of, uh, she doesn't tell him why she is leaving a certain area and it is maddening and frustrating in all the ways that you could possibly imagine. Like, why are you leaving right now? Well, she, and it's she just says like, why she's leaving. She tells him once he asks, but she does not tell him initially. And so it's one of those things where we have to have this whole five minute sequence of her doing that. And then <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where I feel bad for the character. Cause he's kind of thrown under the bus a little bit. Um, you know, the first 10 minutes of this film, uh, or I, I guess after, uh, the flashback sequence, the first 10 minutes of this film, uh, something happens to him. That's kind of not really his fucking fault. And you're just like, ah, oh, Jesus, what is this movie doing to this <laughs> poor kid? So, um, I feel like this film kind of puts him underneath the bus a little bit more than the first film does. And, uh, Otherwise, like Millicent Simmons, I feel like is very smart and capable. I just feel like she obviously has a very definite disadvantage in this world that is completely related to sound. And that's 
just an unfortunate reality of her, uh, you know, makeup as a human being at this point in time. Um, it's got nothing to do with her intelligence or anything like that. I think she's a fairly smart and uh, capable individual, um, all things considered. So um, I just wanted to defend the kids just a little <laughs> bit uh, without going into spoilers. Bill always much. stands up for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, said, I will... I, I called him my review, Marcus, real quick. I called him the perpetual middle child. That's oh, definitely. Is. Yeah, you forget definitely. that he's a middle child because that younger uh, brother just got wrecked in the first movie. So I think my feelings about this movie probably, or the original, or this, I don't know, this franchise could be summed up in me watching the first film. And obviously there's this scene where, um, you know, they're trying to, sneak away to wherever they're going and the little tiny child grabs a very loud toy and then within the first few minutes of film he is just eaten basically we don't really see what happens but uh he gets attacked and when when this did occur i like burst out laughing in the theater and like a lot of people were giving me bad looks was you I am literally not at all shocked that people gave you looks for that. (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised either. But like, there are times where it works. And there are times where it like seems very silly. And I really thought that worked very well in the it film that came out a few years ago. Oh, see, that's, Mm. that's interesting to me. Because I remember in the it film, I felt like the death of that child was so... um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they, they were so, it was almost like so languidly paced and so like leeringly observed and like, t- cause everyone fucking knows it's going to happen. Right. And this movie is just like, Oh, I had just, no idea. Oh, I, oh, I knew really? nothing about the story. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Cause I was just like, Oh, just kill this fucking kid already. It like sucks how <laughs> cute you're making him like just fucking kill him. Cause this goddamn, you know, 4 billion page novels got to get going. And (laughs) this is before I knew that it, uh, the first one, only focused on the children. Um, Because I do remember getting to the end of that and being like, don't they, aren't they, they're adults at some point. And then it was like, part one. Um, And in in, in A Quiet Place, I, I... had I had I had no idea that little boy was gonna die. Like it was just like I think uh so but so in the first one you you saw that kid and were like, Oh, he's 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 worm food. Yeah. I was like I just thought it was hilarious the way they did it. Not because it was inherently funny, but because it just felt so manipulative not to keep using that word and like whatever filmmaking is manipulative of the point right all cinema is a manipulation exactly i mean i agree with that but it was just so blatantly like kill the cute kids so you have a feeling i'm like okay fridged again weird that you did not feel that during it but you did feel it during this movie yeah i really i thought it was really well done in it in a way because well again i was not familiar with that story at all so that was um also, you rarely see a movie that actually shows bad things happening to children. Like, usually they cut away. Um, not that I like bad things happening to children. It's <laughs> I don't not know, like a toy. Dr. Sleep has entered the chat. Oh, it's my God. A- yeah, Dr. Sleep fucking <laughs> rules. That's it's not, like, movie. something joyous for me, but I do think it is... It, it is um, <sighs> brave. I hate the use, the use of the word brave, but, like... It's something you just don't see. And so when a filmmaker actually takes a risk like that, I I do appreciate 
the cinematic, uh, you know, risk taking that it involves. Because usually, like a film like this, they cut away, and it's just like, oh, you're supposed to feel the emotional impact without the actual uh, visual impact. Well, but can't can't you feel the emotional impact without the visual impact? Like, you know, for oh, me, I can. think sure. part of the issue with the it death is that I did see too much of it, and so like instead of being like oh, the death of a child, what a tragedy. I'm stuck too much in the pain of that instant and feeling like this kind of icky, gross, like my friend just tricked me into watching a snuff film kind of <laughs> ickiness rather than like the sorrow of like a human life being lost. That's really an interesting point. Did you, did that happen to you? Did a friend trick me into watching a snuff yes. film? Not yeah. a snuff film, um, but like, you know, definitely like one of those faces of death things. Mm. Uh, I think it might have been Bud Dwyer. Mm. And um, yeah, I was just like, dude, that's not, I don't, fu- like, what the, sh- why would you do this? Um, that is a uh, a good rule of thumb, by the way. If I ever make a way too specific reference on this show, odds are it is something that actually happened to me. <laughs> that's why I'm like, hmm, hmm, actually, though. That's <laughs> yeah. Right, because if you told me, like, this guy was under, you know, investigation for corruption and they, it was, like, even though he... C- was convinced he was innocent it was going so poorly that he committed suicide during a a press conference as like people told him not to do it you know i would be like oh my god that's horrible but like you show that to me and i don't know what's coming and then like that's just that's just gross i'm like well now i had to see that thank you so much so like doing it the way they did it in a quiet place where i was like oh this is going to set up the stakes and this is how it happens but then like you know you you see the thing overtake the kid and then you just see the look on the dad's face it's like Okay, now I'm not stuck tra- traumatically empathizing with a child that is dying. I am I am empathizing <laughs> with the people left behind in the wake of that tragedy. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I've never uh, had somebody accidentally show, or actually on purpose, show <laughs> me a snuff film. Uh, but we did watch the Zapruder film in eighth grade. And I remember the teacher being like, just FYI, like, there's going to be some brains. I'm like, what well, the Yeah, fuck? it's the goddamn Zapruder. It's like 18 <laughs> seconds like, do long. Do you show that to, like, eighth graders? No, I don't know. teacher should no, be shot in Village Square. Why did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, Pinky and the Brain? Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, just pink brains. Huh. Yeah. You want the pink mist? Ew. <laughs> I want to say something about the kids, but I think I'm going to wait until I can be more detailed. Well, about we can. It, I think it's tough. Yeah, I think it's time. I think. I think yeah, we. We've, it, it I'm actually not surprised easy to do that. I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. we talked this much without going into uh, into spoilers. But um, yep. yeah, let's do spoilers. Let's do so, it. what did what John? What did you think of these these children? Yeah, I I agree a lot with what you were saying, Bill. And but yeah, I'm like kind of trying to make sure I represent you correctly here because for me the Noah Jupe character Marcus perpetual middle child Marcus <laughs> sweet sweet boy um I think like this movie just does not know what to do with him because yeah. his arc makes no sense to me and you because like the first scene with him is like showing like okay you know he's at bat and he just doesn't have confidence like I guess that's like the line of it is like he doesn't have confidence he's at that age where mm-hmm. he's going through puberty and then ah uh, man right right when your your voice is about to drop like aliens invade <laughs> and like you know a man, part of me never meet a girl yeah <laughs> exactly um you know and so but then like 
he kind of gets thrust into this like sideline, you know, in the first film, especially. And I don't remember a lot of him in that movie, except that he's just kind of like, he's quiet. He, he doesn't take a lot of initiative. His older sister is the one who has like the courage, you know, she just wants Mm -hmm. other people to let her, you know, take chances and to take risks and people are being dismissive of her. And that's why I've always connected with her character more because like, I don't know what that's like. It's like people say that, you know, well, you can't hear super well, so you can't do this, this, and this. Ugh. And then, you know, there's this sort of like gumption you have to sort of have to navigate the world when you have a disability and like, mm-hmm. you know, be able to overcome your disadvantages and even turn them into advantages that only you can realize. And so like, because both of those movies handle that with Millie Simmons, I'm like, yeah, like I, I feel connected to this character, like even though she's flawed and she makes mistakes and, you know, she, maybe she has a little too much courage. This movie kind of teaches her the course of the the plot that like it's OK to rely on other people. It's OK to sort of, you know, have have allies, not try to do everything on your own. She has a clear reason for why she's doing things on her own, because people are still not letting her just like, you know, going along with her ideas. And so it it's it's a little complex there. But with Noah Jupe, holy cow, like this kid. Like, I just never understood, like, he doesn't have courage, but then he's like, well, I'm going to go explore this, like, compound. Made no fucking sense. (laughs) If I touch something, it'll summon a creature. It's like, why would he do that? And like, I don't, he's I don't know why still. he's, uh, I don't know why he's leaving. The The biggest thing that I feel like they could have done with that sequence is he's the one that realizes the oxygen is running low. So he's right. the one that has to go explore to see if, you know, and look like this is a, some kind of metal working facility. I think it's just where they, uh, mill steel i guess i don't know what the mm. fuck this is but like you would figure okay maybe they do have oxygen tanks just sitting around because you know blow torches and all of these other things that they may need mm. to use and stuff like that so okay which also like i've i've heard some people kind of like laugh at the i've listened to a couple of podcasts on this already <laughs> but uh uh i've l- listened to some people kind of laugh and be like what the fuck like there's just oxygen tanks sitting around and i'm just like okay it, tell me again when the last time you needed an oxygen tank. Right. Like, it's, like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, but would like, a twelve-year-old know that? No, 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 no. I think they meant like, a, oh, you know, Emily Blunt found Emily oxygen Blunt. tanks. Yes. Like, gotcha. Yeah, because she yeah. went to a goddamn yeah. pharmacy. Like, there's. I just. Yeah, like, like the old people more than likely are are dead at this point. It's been a year and a half. Like, uh, okay, you know, like if if you need something like that, where you're a grown adult, right, uh, an average size human, like you're gonna go through oxygen probably pretty quick. And so it's one of those things where it's like it's a baby. Like that baby probably isn't utilizing that much oxygen. You know, those are so it's lungs. like. <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where I was just like, yeah, a year and a half after, I think there would still be some oxygen tanks like kind of sitting around because people would just be like, what the fuck do I do with this thing? Like it makes a bunch of noise. Well, one of my, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things about this world is that um, what happened happened. We see now so fast and yes, very, is so dependent rapidly. on sound that mm-hmm. there's not a lot of opportunity for like looting and uh, destruction that like people would do. Like, you know, so like sure. in, in other like movies where like yeah. you see people like, 
all right, well, the first thing we got to do is we got to put a bunch of knives on cars. And it's just like, well, we can't do that because we can't even use a car. You know, so it, it does very much have this frozen in time feel mm-hmm. to it because at a certain point, everyone would have noticed what the fuck was going on and would have had to be as quiet as possible. And at that point, it's like, well, um, I guess we won't be hammering any nails. <laughs> we won't be running any power tools. We're going to have to pretty much try to keep everything as good as it can be. And like, we can't move anything large it's it's a very it's a very limiting apocalypse you know i just finished reading Mm -hmm. the road for whatever reason and (laughs) because you love children yeah um and (laughs) i was gonna say they're delicious um (laughs) tender yes no that is that is snowpiercer no i mean it's in the road (laughs) too um it's it's a really it's a really really dark part of well i mean every fucking part of that book is dark as shit anyway um (laughs) But it's in Hannibal. <laughs> World War Z. The, the whole list. Yeah, I mean, so the the road, I mean, it's it's that is a picked over world. Like I was talking to a friend about it because she was like, "Oh, Walking Dead." And I was like, "The thing that pisses me off about The Walking Dead is it would be so easy for these assholes to reconfigure a civilization with like minimal effort if they would just get their shit together." And it is it is nonsensical that however many seasons it's been there hadn't been some greater societal building because at the end of the day, like we went from a bunch of bloodthirsty animals into an organized principle of society. And I just, I just feel like you wouldn't have these like warring factions when you still have a pretty resource rich environment. You can still farm, you know, it's everything is still growing. Like the seasons are normal. Like there's just so much that's still the same that it just is nonsense. And like, you know, my, my, my thing about the road is there's nothing, you know, maybe they got like one more season out of what they had. And then after that, it was just, okay, um, we are the maggots on the corpse of the world. And at a certain (laughs) point we got to start eating each other literally. And you've got the people who are trying to make it work. And Court McCarthy does a lot of really interesting world building by talking about like, the fires on the hills from the blood cults, whatever the fuck those are. You know, he talks about the communes and you see some people without fingers because those apparently get lopped off every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, like, and it's, you know, the the father even says at some point, like, be careful what you put in your head because once you put it in there, it's in there forever. And so, like, there's a clear reason that a lot of stuff is not spelled out in greater detail in that novel. But, I mean, it's this is another kind of version of that because now you, you do have all this stuff that you could possibly do, but if it makes any noise, you can't do it. And it's just, it's Mm. almost like worse because you're looking around and you're like, I could just hop in that car and like drive somewhere else, but a giant, it's an economy of options. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's teasing in a cruel, in an almost cruel way, Mm. like an ironic punishment type of twilight zone type thing. I, I do feel like John, uh, we kind of cut you off a little bit because you were you were gonna maybe defend the kids, maybe not defend the kids a little <laughs> bit more. Um, well, I was just gonna say, his like yeah, his arc doesn't make sense like for that reason, and I was wondering if the movie was framing like that situation as trying to reveal something about Killian Murphy like that it feels like where it's going like it's going right. to reveal something about him of like he ate his family or something right oh my god yeah, yeah I was yeah. waiting and, for the ravenous reveal <laughs> right but yeah like maybe there's like a journal or you know he's it's a trap and then Millie's in danger whatever it's a butcher no, he shop just, he's, he's just, just a you know, sad man 
Well, the, the, the other thing that I was waiting for him to do, and okay, so so there's the sequence where Emily Blunt leaves this kind of protected area, right, and doesn't tell her son why she's leaving, what she's doing. He, she just kind of takes off while he's like napping and like injured, and because obviously, like at a certain point, that's gonna gangrene, that's gonna get injured or mm-hmm. just hurt worse like he's he's gonna be immobilized if you can't get him some help right and that's just not a good situation because Killian Murphy at this point has made it very clear that he wants to believe but she kind of like leaves this very difficult location to like for him to get out of and just kind of doesn't leave a note doesn't leave any kind of like SOS like here's here's what I'm doing and just kind of leaves and he like of course follows her and is like what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't just leave me with the kid and not tell me where you're going. And I was like, why, why wouldn't she just communicate that to him? Like that, that's Parents such a simple that, thing. Parents, maybe they don't not trust during kid. the, uh, sure, sure. Um, I don't know. But, but the other thing that was really frustrating to me was I figured that she because obviously this is a very small, tightly confined area because, you know, the monsters can't quite get to it. They don't know where it is, right? Um, I don't know what kind of seeing ability they have, but they definitely have good hearing ability. But it seems to be kind of like, okay, they haven't figured out this spot, this kind of location, so we're kind of safe down here for the most part. Um, And so she's leaving this armored location and you're kind of like what is she doing what where is she going and i was like okay easy easy way for him to have a reason to leave is to go to the bathroom like where do they go to the bathroom in this location like it's do they even eat (laughs) and and i'm just like that's that's do you need that level of detail in your movie does the you know, for him you, to leave for him to leave that location? Absolutely. There's no way for him and, to communicate it, right? Because he, who's he gonna say? Like, maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was it. looking for a safe. He could tell the baby, "Oh man, I gotta piss." Like you, sure, John. <laughs> I, I I think that is fair. Like, why would he tell the little kid, "Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be right back. I gotta go take a leave." Because you talk right. to babies, you narrate See to it, them. Bro. <laughs> yeah, is you could have boy? like a, I mean, you, you know do if it's your kid. Worked. I feel like at a, as a if you're a teenager who's just been handed an infant, you might be like, uh, it would have okay. been a good setup though, because like later, yeah. he like sacrifice. He's like ready to sacrifice his life for his brother, and sweet. And like that was what I was going to defend. Of like they kind of try to bring it around and be like, that's what's unique about this guy is like he has a heart for his family. Look what he would be willing to do. And then it ends with like, but also he can be really cool and like, you know, hold up a radio. And um, <laughs> also, I really well, got to say, I, here, here, this, this yeah, go whole for it. movie, it, it like the first one, it's fun while you're watching it, but then you got to start thinking about it because sure. I'm, I'm sitting, I'm laying awake at night, you know, instead of sleeping and being like, why are, and I was thinking this during the movie, to be fair, why aren't they just hunting these things? They yeah, have the tools. Clear the area. That's like the first room walking dead is like you go in, you clear them as zombies. But instead they like, well, they don't give a reason for why don't they just like wherever they go, turn on the amplifier, lure all those things, kill them and 
that's well, it. Like, I don't know. Do they have enough shotgun shells? Though? They have, you know. Sure, I sure. mean, that, also that's, like that's a fair thing. Emily but, Blunt uh, literally the, just gave birth to a child, so yeah, <laughs> she's but like at least the fact that she's that. walking There's miles a day of, is a medical marvel as it stands. Of like, course, yeah. They could lampshade it, is what I'm saying, and I would be yeah. fine. But the fact that they don't ever bring that up or ever try to talk about like what should we do about this situation and let somebody be like we should kill these things so we have to be more careful that there's nothing like that it's just sort of like we're gonna wander well everything goes really poorly really quickly like my the the you know i i understand what you're saying but like the movie begins immediately after they've killed the three that were like most close to their farm and they're like, all right, well, this place is literally on fire and uh, it's flooding and we got to we got to go. Like, we know there's one other person. Maybe we can find them and we can coalesce into some new unit and figure out the next thing. We know how to you know, defeat these things in a way. Let's get there. And they're almost there. And then the kid, you know, gets his, his foot snapped in a coyote trap. And I definitely Kelly- thought he was dead. <laughs> I was like, you're not going to make it, son. <laughs> and then Killian Murphy he lets out a screech. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? You just had your phone oh, like, yeah. on the coyote trap. But um, I, I also, related to that kid. <laughs> I also liked how Emily Blunt's character like covers his mouth and is like, be quiet. And as soon as he she uncovers his mouth he screeches again and it's like yeah do you see what just happened like yeah that kid's incapacitated right now yeah. like do, do not try and console him and be like shush or you die he's just gonna be like no this fucking hurts a lot and right then now. but so then you know I'm after that scream. like killian murphy's like hey what up you gotta get the fuck out of here because i would like to just <laughs> stay here alone and die um of loneliness and they're like, no, like we need a place to stay. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's not going to work for me. This is my tomb to my own sadness and failures as a father. And I'd really love for you. I feel like you related to that, Brian. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, um, no, I mean, I, you know, if I were any character in this movie, I guess I'd be a mix between Lee Abbott and Emmett, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say that they are the two poles, and I would fall somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> I have I have just the BuzzFeed quiz for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what mix are you? Um, I'm definitely Scoot McNary. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to see him in this. I um, expect to see Scoot McNary in everything. Like I walk down uh, the street, hmm. and I'm just like, all right, who in my life today will be played by Scoot McNary? <laughs> Um, can, I, can I say my other thing that I didn't think made sense? Oh, please yeah, absolutely. Because um, I remember people asking this in the in the first uh, movie or after the first movie, why not go to an island? And so this movie is like, <laughs> we thought of that. And I was hoping there would be something to that, you know, of like, well, surely, like, <laughs> everybody would have that idea of like, let's leave and go somewhere surrounded by water so you're sure these things aren't around. And I don't know, this movie just kind of treated it like this big surprise revelation where I just felt like, well, yeah, go here. And I don't know, I maybe it's not that it doesn't make sense, but it just feels a little bit like half-baked to me as a, a, a plot development. Well, the Is, water thing, it was very signs, you know? Well, I mean, you know, if, if uh, I can't even think of the, the right way to put this, because... Um, I'm trying like if 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 the world were suddenly infested with Komodo dragons. <laughs> um 
It always comes again? back to Komodo dragons. I just, you know, when I think of a giant terrestrial predator, um, I just think of Komodo dragons. So if the world were infested with Komodo dragons, you would, uh, you know, hop onto uh, on another island because a Komodo dragon cannot ford that that type of water. Hmm. You know, it's so like it, it's sci- I mean, here's the thing I was actually going to science. <laughs> it's signs. Yes. But also like, you know, people drown in water. It's not like water is only painful to the <laughs> alien and signs like. You know, yeah, yeah, true. put a bunch of cats in a bag and throw it in a river. Like, hey. not back. like I guess I guess my real complaint isn't because all this stuff can be explained. All this stuff can work. It's it's the movies, you know, movies are magic. Right. I right. guess like that's speaking to like how unfinished I feel like the movie is because like you go to this island and like I just don't feel like they get to have a moment where they're like, this is the life we live here. This is how we survive. Yeah. And like what is their plan? Because they're going to run out of resources. How do they have enough food? How do they have enough medicine? And like, that is how you can sort of explain like why going to an island is a bad idea, but then they just don't wrestle right. with and that it, it at is, all. It, 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 it is. I mean, I love how fleet this movie is because, you know, honestly, like I think 90 something minutes is a great way to ease yourself back into sitting in the dark for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able to look True. at your phone or uh, pause the movie. Um, but baby. like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so like, uh, I think that because it is that fast, it's like you can't have those longer lingering moments. And I do, you know, there was a part of me that when, when I realized what was hap- what was going to happen, that he was going to at some point see that boat, and he was going to be like, "Oh shit, the thing is on the boat, and now it's over here." I was like, "Man, are we paradise losting this already? Like, we didn't even, <laughs> you didn't even get literally twenty four hours in the paradise. Like, we have no conception." of like what we're, we're losing already. You know, we, when we didn't get even like the, the cursory 28 days later when they find the, um, when they find the, the military outpost and he's like, you know, we've got a boiler for water and we've got X amount of food. Like, yeah, you do kind of want them to say like, well, yeah, we started an organic garden. It's been a year, you know, we've, we've worked some stuff. We've got like minimal livestock, but we've, we're working on it. Like, you know, we, we send a sortie to the, the mainland every once in a while to, to pick up stuff. Um, you know, Instead, but yeah, it's you, like you, a Time magazine cover, you know, where <laughs> people are just like having picnics, and I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. Though I did like, that. and then it Digimon is... Hansu is there for like two seconds, and you're like, why did I this do, just happen? I mean, you know, you gotta, you got when you got these minor roles like uh, Man on Island and Marina Man, you know, you got to pack mm-hmm. some faces in there. You got to get them faces in so that you uh, you memorize well, them d- and you kind of d- know who d- they did are. Anybody- hear that uh scoot mcnary is actually in this film bill uh i feel like i've already made a joke about it and oh sorry oh i thought you were just being random who the hell is yeah i thought you i thought you were being like oh i went on a bathroom break and found the tomb to brian's failures as a father and then came back wait so when i said scoot mcnary is in this movie no one realized i was actually saying scoot mcnary's in this no i thought you're referencing something else no, Scoot McNary's well, I, in this I, I fucking movie. About... He plays yeah, Marina Brian. Man. Why are we saying Scoot? His it's... name is Scoot. <laughs> Scoot. Do you not know Scoot McNary? He's been I in do, like but I didn't of realize your favorite it... films and you never realized it. <laughs> Wait, I'm I gotta Google this man's face. Your favorite film is Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, oh, yeah. The, didn't you see the part where there's a, a jar of piss? <laughs> this man could be literally anybody. That is Scoot McNary's greatest power <laughs> yeah mugshot face i was about to say he's oh don't even get me started sienna on miller. sienna miller sienna miller could be just like a bag in the corner and i wouldn't know 
I've seen 20 movies with Sienna Miller. I can't wait to find out what she looks like. <laughs> that's that's me. That that's I just me pictured that. like Janice the Muppet. I just have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> that is that is a terrible thing to say about someone. Um, Scoot McNary was apparently in that movie Sleepless, which was the uh, remake of that French film we all liked. Um, oh, yeah. wow! I'm looking at all of these movies and I've seen two of them. Like, wait, no, that can't be right. You've only seen two Scoot movies. <laughs> Okay, I've seen Argo. I've seen Twelve Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. About Gone Girl. I've seen Gone Girl. I don't remember any. What about in Monsters? These I don't remember what that is. Is that Monsters Inc? No, no that's the one where like he's in Mexico and there's monsters. It's no, never it's, seen it. Yeah, it's, it was the movie I think that got him Godzilla. Yeah. Holy majoli! He was in I'm Promised confusing Land. him with. Is there someone who is in Scream that has a dumb name? Oh, Probably. you're thinking of Skeet Ulrich? Yes. <laughs> that's who I thought you were talking about this whole time. No, Skeet that's Scoot. Skeet. This is Scoot. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. All right. Can I just say? Can you? No, no. We're, we're talking about Scoot McNary for the next 12 hours. <laughs> no, I'm going back here because I, I the kids, I mean, oh listen, God. I really like Noah Jupe. I think he's great. He's freaking excellent in Honey Boy. He was great in Wonder, which is also just like a perfect kids movie. I mean, mm. that that was just a good movie. Uh, and I thought he really was a standout in this, in that. But in this movie, um, I don't know. Something about just the, his use of his eyes that just seems so like child actor coach to me. It, it really took me out of the movie because every time that there's a scene where he just looks like a, you know, little wimp, his eyes go wide and like that's it like that's your whole performance dude is just looking scared and i think that's exactly why the his sister stands out so much more as an actor um and i was going to ask you john you know one not to put you on the spot or i don't know whatever but please do um i work in disability services and so i, I think about this a lot which is when we have characters who have disabilities on screen but we make them super heroic in some way because of their disability like is that is that empowering or is that actually ableistic in some way i don't really know the answer to that it's something i just i always grapple with like whenever you see Mm. a movie where somebody is blind but they have like a superpower Uh, just say daredevil (laughs) for god's sake it's not just daredevil it's like there's this um there was like a a horror movie that came out a few years ago where these kids get trapped in a blind guy's house. Oh, don't house. breathe, yeah. Right. And so it was like, oh, this is just like another movie where the disability becomes the whole focal point to try to it's, undo yeah, like ableism. Weaponized. Right, it's weaponized. Thank you. So I was just curious if you thought this was, a, I know you've talked a little bit about it, but is this a good representation of that according to you? And See, that's the thing. It's like, it's a spectrum, right? Like people, yeah. Like people just have different takes. Like I could talk to somebody mm-hmm. who is totally, like, you know, totally on a different page with it because it is it is a bit of a gray area where I personally draw the line. Is like to me the difference with something like Daredevil is the fact that he's effectively not blind, right? You know, <laughs> right. Like that's yeah. the point. It's like it's so superpowered that he might as well like he can see. He should just, just be a, a sighted way. man who lies to people. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, because that then that's what kind of feels like ableist to people because it's sort of saying that, you know, the only way he could be a great superhero is if like he could effectively see with superpowers. And so the difference to me with something like this, and, and, and that's not to say I hate Daredevil or anything. Yeah. Or like people should burn their Daredevil comics or something. It's not that at all, but these are always just fun things to talk about and discuss because they do make some people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. With this movie, the difference is that it's not that like like Bill kind of touched on it. Like she's still in a disadvantaged world. Oh my god, like, she's she... still in a situation where you know, yeah, like j- her not being able to hear. It's not like it's like it gives her a power or anything, or gives her some kind of. I know I kind of was like flipping about that earlier, but like she's still you know the, the way that she's able to overcome these circumstances is her. It's not because of her disability, but like she's able to still like be courageous in the case of her disability. And the reason to me it's not ableist is because like everybody has that. Like some people might have their own disadvantage. It just might not be as readily apparent. Some people might freeze, you know, in these situations. Right. That's the Noah Jupe character. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I think like her character arc is proving to people that like this one, you know, disadvantage which ultimately becomes an advantage because her wits, her cleverness and her ability to like think on her feet in terms of like the radio station, having the courage and her to, like, courage. Go yeah. Forward. Yeah, exactly. Like it's all Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, she would totally be a Gryffindor. I'm sad to say I'm not, a, I'm not a Gryffindor. Would Killian Murphy. I'm not. And I don't want to be. I am. Okay. What about <laughs> Killian Murphy? I said, what would Killian Murphy be in terms of uh, his, his Harry Potter house? Probably hmm. a Death Eater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, a re- a the- reform Death Eater. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Hagrid's like drunk step nephew. <laughs> He's definitely a squib. I don't know what yeah. that means. Um, I think. Yeah. You know what's funny so, is that like so many YA things like did that like oh we're gonna sort people like are you Abignation or are you yeah exactly or that's what I always yeah. think about is like shitty Harry Potter spit like takeoffs or counterfeits right. or whatever and like meanwhile Harry Potter's just like yeah I don't know we got some like weird animal houses doesn't matter this is the one that wins and it's just like yeah yeah <laughs> what's funny about that is it's totally based on actual British house systems like it's not just like a random thing she made up like a lot of private schools or whatever they what they call public schools over there do sort students into these like rival houses i don't know if it's based on their personalities or anything but it's, well, it's I know they did like thing. an american version but the reason that didn't ring true to me like over morning or whatever it's like yeah, you would that. have to like do it as like dorms you know or like frat houses and make exactly. it really like a democratic thing well, well it's, it's what they do at Harvard, so it's like... So what I think you know. of when I think of, like, Americans sorting each other is that it's not like, oh, you have, like, perspicacity and a quick wit, you should be a whatever. It's 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 more like the everybody wants some, where it's like, oh, I fucking love baseball, so I'm yeah. with a bunch of other guys who fucking love baseball. And these are a bunch of, like, weird art kids, and they are all in weird art kid house. And then we've got the punk rockers, and then we've got the weird line dancing people. Like, it's all about the things that you love not so much about who you are yeah can we just talk about everybody wants some now <laughs> i've never seen it actually oh my god it's so good great movie i watch that oh. movie like three times a year because i it hmm. just makes me happy i like dazed and confused and i remember hearing that it was sort of similar to that yeah it's kind of like kind it's of... the same location kind of same mm. time period ish but it's like those that kind of 
like high school group it in their first year of college. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a movie I would totally love. I'll oh, we sh- you should watch it and then we should talk about it and maybe we'll a find a classic it episode. <laughs> I would love um, to do it. We definitely on. reviewed that on this podcast. I'd still love to do a classic episode on it. That's Just funny. be like, and we're talking about it again. I, I appreciate what you're saying, Don, and I really I didn't I didn't mean to say oh you speak for all people who are hard of hearing or anything. I was just curious about your particular. Well, that's fine, Robin. You speak it. for all women, right? Exactly. <laughs> Kill all men. <laughs> oh Jesus! Kill all children. Bill is all Texans, and I'm all incredibly depressed uh, Irish Catholics. <laughs> you mean Irish Catholics? Yes, uh, but I repeat myself. <laughs> it's um, I, I do, I do appreciate what what you're saying, John, because I, I, you know, had 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 you not been here, I would have been the one who probably had to defend that, and I'm I'm glad that everything that I would have said is something that you said, because now I know that I'm, if not right, at least in good company. You got I'm you got not, one backer, but I'm not attacking it. I mean, I was kind of mixed but, on it, but I like, understand I could see what both ways. you mean, Robin, totally. because that is the thing that a lot of these things do in that kind of daredevil way where it's like, well, you understand, you know, he couldn't see as a child, but now he's, he can see plus, you know, he's got, right. he could see into the other room. It's like, well, isn't that just being able to see even better than people who can yeah, see? Yeah, you've got better acuity. <laughs> and I remember, you know, when talking about the first movie, I'm like, well, it's this family, they're trying to live, like the the, the girl, um, the, the, the daughter. Yeah, she's the eldest, right? Yeah, the eldest yeah. daughter is deaf and so I'm going like oh well that's good because now at least they know sign language and then they kind of have a moment and they're like oh but she can't hear if she's making a racket can she and I was like yeah no it's it's a uh, it's quite a double-edged sword um you know it 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 gives them a strategic advantage but you know only as a collective society insofar as their family becomes a society but it, it she is at a disadvantage in that way and I I, I found the if way that the movie example. oh please yeah. go ahead yeah if you, if you want an example of a movie that does this really poorly, uh, Sound of Violence, that that is a movie where, like, so bad I had to stop watching it hmm. because it was, like, just so aggressively portraying, like, the deaf experience in a way that, like, genuinely, like, made me, like, annoyed and angry because it's, like, that's this movie is so much better is all I'm trying to say. Hmm. No, I think that's really helpful. Um, did, what did, I mean, again, not to do this to you, but like, what did you think of Sound of Metal? Also really good, because that movie I struggled with. Because mm. Sound of Metal, like, made me rethink some of my, like, biases of, like, you know, because losing my hearing is, like, really recent, you mm. know? And, like, it's, it's, like, deteriorating, like, over time. And so, like, that movie has, like, that central question of, like, is it okay to, like, if you would want it, if you could get your hearing back... And I was mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, I love that. Like, I, oh man. And when the movie does the things it does, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, like that doesn't resonate with me. But then it, it made me actually start to like look into the lives of people who, you know, can't hear even more so than me. And so like really mm. processing that and like thinking about like, yeah, like hearing aids aren't like the 100% perfect solution to all, you know, my hearing. Right. Or a problems. cochlear implant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that movie, I think, is a, a masterwork in terms of portraying the experience as it is, which is messy and complicated. And there's no like right answer to any of it. Well, I yeah, appreciate I, your I, perspective. I love that movie. And we, we talked about it on this podcast. Um, so anyone wants to hear more of my thoughts on it can, can go listen to it. Um, I like that about that movie that it, it kind of it understood. I mean, thank God it doesn't treat 
you know, the deaf experience is like a monolith, you know? Right. Well, in, in so many other movies, him getting that cochlear implant would have been this like big heroic moment and all of right. this. And that yep. movie, it treats it as a betrayal mm-hmm. of, of the community that he kind of learned to kind of accept and, and, you know, uh, come a part of and everything like that and you know it's it's almost this shame that he has Mm. that you know he he even wants this thing well like i Um, talked about when we talked about that movie it's it's it 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 does alienate him from that community because it does not fit into the standards that that community has set for themselves you know and that could relate to almost anything like a religious community you know, vegans, you know, like if you suddenly you're like, yeah, vegans. I've got to, I've got to start eating cheese because my, my triglycerides are dangerously low. I don't know. But like you, you make a choice and you have to live with that choice. And his choice was not motivated by a desire to move forward. It was motivated by a desire to try to recapture what he already had. And I think that movie makes a great point of like, there is no one size fits all solution for this new circumstance for your life, but you cannot attempt to move forward in a way that brings you back and that's what i that's what i really loved about that movie yeah it took me a while to figure that out like that's what i loved about it i I really had to sit with that message and accept it because it's hard to accept you know oh yeah that is an incredibly difficult thing to accept that's oh boy that's the movies yeah i know Mm -hmm. that's that's because even though that is a thing that i have already like basically had to learn myself and then had to relearn it in a non-destructive way. Um, it is still just awesome to see an idea like that, like distilled in that way. Um, which, which again is another reason to, I'm going to try to bring it back to a quiet place. Another reason that I kind of like these movies is because like, again, as I'm growing as a father, it's kind of nice to see a movie that like puts the the experience of parenthood into the kind of emotional headspace that it often feels like it's uh inhabiting even though obviously like my daughter's not going to get consumed by sound hunting monsters but like i don't know how go ahead bill well i I was gonna say i don't know how old emily blunt and john krasinski's uh kids are but i don't know if they're the this old i feel like maybe that that was a recent thing for them but someone was comparing this and and basically saying like john krasinski and emily blunt must have had a really rough time with their kids because that's what like this (laughs) movie is kind of set upon is like okay cool post-apocalyptic but what if kids and it's just like ah you know it's just that's why it it feels like he made this for his kids like i know i know one of them is like seven or eight or something and like okay, okay. they're young so, so old and old enough to maybe have these kind of experiences because i know like seven is like when you're supposed to be able to like ride a bicycle right so you're you're fairly coordinated you're you get it like your parent can talk to you or you know whoever can talk to you and everything like that yeah. so uh i know seven's like right around that age where like things are just supposed to start fucking clicking for you you know um so yeah i guess maybe maybe they're around that age where it's just like all right these kids are finally fucking getting it and like <laughs> well okay. so you know, yeah. you said like, oh, they must have had such a hard time, but like it, it, it's, it, it is a fundamental shift in joke. your entire being that like nothing can really prepare you for. <laughs> it is um yes. because yes. like 
you know, just uh, not that I, like, well, yeah, I used to like fall asleep with like a liquor bottle on the floor next to my bed. And now there's like 12 reasons why that's a terrible thing to do that have nothing to do with just the basic psychological, emotional issues that I was going for. So I wrote uh, an essay apparently back in April of 2018 um, talking about how a quiet place, you know, really reflects like the, the essence of parenthood. And I wrote, you know, parenthood is an exercise in managing fear, uncertainty, and self-doubt. It gets to be that you don't realize all the little things that you have to do in order to give yourself a modicum of peace of mind. You turn off the stove and push the hot pan towards the back of the range. You set the knife against the wall instead of resting on the edge of a counter. You go up to depth at stepping over baby gates. You become accustomed to working locking mechanisms anytime you need something from under a sink. Growing these uh, defenses is a way to ensure that the life you created maintains itself. And as your child grows, you move from protecting them to teaching them to protect themselves with perhaps the unstated purpose of making sure that if, um, yeah, that you, that should you need it, they will be able to protect you. Like, so it's, it's not even like, oh, my kids are going to get us killed. It's just like, I need to protect them from harm. I need to do these things so that other things are easy. And the whole movie is like a, a viewpoint of that, but with the added, uh, peril of a sound seeking monster that wants to eat you. Or maybe just kill Doesn't, you. Doesn't like the world feel as like, isn't that the point is like they're trying to make the world feel this dangerous because like I, w- I was reading something the other day about how like there people like sociologists are trying, not sociologists, uh, the humans studying people, anthropologists, whatever yeah. that yeah. is. They're trying to analyze like the effect of how the culture has changed so much that like kids are barely even allowed to play in their backyards unsupervised because mm-hmm. so many, you know, culturally like things have shifted so much to where like, you know, even when I was growing up, it wasn't quite as bad. Like I was able to just like, when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, I just wandered out. I left. Oh, yeah. I would just yep. go to other yep. kids' houses. There was nothing to it, but I have nine nieces and nephews. The youngest is like two. The oldest is like 17 and their lives are so different. They're under constant supervision, like it's just mm. to me, I, I talk to my siblings about it a lot and it just feels to a lot of people like you can't just let your kids out there and let them be kids. And I wonder if that's like playing a bit into Krasinski, you know, raising his kids and feeling like I just want to show them how much I want to protect them, but also make these movies about something else entirely of like, you know, how to maybe like let your kids go a little bit and let them sort of like strike their own path because otherwise like those people are wondering like, what are kids, how are kids going to be able to cope with like adulthood? Mm-hmm you know yeah. otherwise well i mean i i have that problem every once in a while i'm like why was there never a course that taught me taxes or like how to manage credit card debt i had a class like that in eighth grade well that is fantastic for you oh was that the one where they showed you, you the, the jfk assassination no that w- no one was our history <laughs> class or social studies the other was like life skills let me tell no, you what i learned how to write a check will do to your the, uh your credit card the, score i watched the zapruder film <laughs> Th- that course is called death and taxes <laughs> boom wins go. so like it's it is funny because like my daughter is incredibly capable of of all kinds of things, and um, I like I I only now just started letting her go and play in the backyard, you know, which is fenced in, you know, um, and is is free of as much danger as you can make a backyard. Because like for the longest time, I was just like, someone's going to see my kid in the backyard and they're going to call CPS on me, like if I'm not out there right. with her. So like I would like go and stand in the backyard and basically follow her around. And then finally, one day I was like, I'm making dinner. She wants to go out back. It's like 75 degrees outside. It's gorgeous. We're going to eat outside. You know, I should just let her go outside. 
And she did it. And she came in and she's like, I found a stick. And I was like, oh, my God. And she ran outside. She's like, I'm going to find more sticks. <laughs> she's like, why are you crying? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, why, why is this? Why is it so difficult? And I'm trying to put into place what I was doing at that age. And I know that, like, my sister, who was, like, four years older than me or something, like, her and her friends would go out and do stuff. And sometimes I would tag along. And, like, you know, we had a giant wooded floodplain near the house that I would go and catch tadpoles. And I'm just like... Yeah, but I would feel I think, deeply uncomfortable doing that now because it, it, it is it is yeah. the type of thing. I left a husky outside in the snow and someone yeah, called the county on me. And now I'm just like, so if my daughter was out there, like how quickly would someone call the county on that? Right. Um, so it's it's weird. It I, is I think, it is a it is a hard thing to manage. And I, I, I wonder about that because like, well, how am I supposed to make sure she can manage the world? But, you know, here's the difference to me, which is. There's a lot of neglect that can go on inside the home. Mm -hmm. So we always put this in terms of, oh, a kid can't be wandering by themselves. Oh, the kid can't walk down the street because they're going to get kidnapped and this and that. But like so much shit can happen inside the house Mm -hmm. and people are not going to know. And I have one time I remember I almost cut off my finger because we didn't have any pencil sharpeners in the house. So I used a serrated steak knife because that was the only way that I could sharpen my pencils to do my homework. That really would have ruined your 23rd birthday. (laughs) Except I was seven. (laughs) And I cut off my fucking nail uh, finger or half my finger when my mother was sleeping and I had to wake her up out of a medicated stupor to like clean the blood off and everything. I mean, I've had burns. I've had all sorts of things happen. I fell off a ladder because nobody was looking because, you know, you put a a ladder in the middle of the living room when you have a three-year-old. So like, it's it's so frustrating sometimes when I hear stories of like, oh, well, this kid was outside. Or like, oh, we can't wander the house. Like, like you don't know what's going on in somebody some somebody's home either. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it is such a weird dichotomy. And I think about this a lot too, because I work in, I work at a university and there is a, a remarkable difference between the students that, were coming to campus as first years five years ago or six years ago versus the ones now. Um, it, it, it just in terms of like the parental involvement, the expectations, the um, the way that they have been, I would say like catered to um, throughout their lives. It's just so different, even just in a five year difference. And that to me is the difference between being born in 1997 versus being born in 2002. Um, and what were well, the you know, cultural changes changed that happened? 9/11. Exactly, um, <laughs> exactly. No, but I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, it's so. I mean, you know, I'm not being serious about the 9/11 thing, but yeah, no, I believe that. I believe that 100. percent And it's so it's difficult because, like, to... well, I just gonna say I don't want to go like full Captain Fantastic escape to the woods because that's its own kind of abuse. Um, but it is you do I do wonder constantly about that. Like, how much is especially as a single dad, you know, who cannot I just like just cannot depend on my ex um i know she'd be furious to hear me say that but like i can't i can't allow myself to do that because i just don't know that she's ever going to come through when i need her to so like yeah it's just uh, like how how much is too much like is my daughter going to feel that i smothered her or is she going to feel that like i was neglectful and so like it's it's a weird balancing act of communication to be like all right i'm gonna go mow the lawn and you're going to sit here and eat this muffin and, and watch Paw Patrol. Like, are we good? And I'll come back in like 15 minute intervals. And it's like, okay, yeah. And then I come back and each time she's just sitting there 
still eating the muffin in the messiest, slowest way possible and talking about Marshall. Um, You know, but it is, you know, like, how do you how do you do that? And again, if they were sound hunting monsters, how much harder would it be? So I think I think one thing that John kind of brought up was this notion of like kids going out into the world and just kind of this expectation. I know my, I, I had it with my parents and I'm a, I'm an only child, so I didn't have siblings to kind of Ooh. help raise me or anything like that. But it was one of those situations where, yeah, they were just like, all right, I don't want to see you until dinner time. But if I was late, it would, you know, there was hell to pay, you know, and it was one of those things where it's just like, okay, you're back before sundown, you know, you've, you've eaten dinner or whatever, like come back before sundown. And, you know, there was never this like strong worry because I was also around a bunch of other neighborhood kids, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't just out by myself. Uh, That's another thing, right? Is we've become very insular. So, you know, a lot of people, and I've heard this said a lot of times where people don't know each other's neighbors and all of this. And it's like, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like sometimes your neighbors are shit holes and uh, you don't want to know them and that's okay you know um but it's also one of these things where it is paralyzing by so much information and not necessarily the good information but just information in general right like if you think and you look back and you start realizing that you know jaws came out and all of a sudden the oceans were just like a terrible predator infested place. And then, you know, all these people started hunting uh, sharks and doing all of this stuff to the point where I think Benchley like even became like an advocate for sharks. He was like, oh, fuck, like this went terribly wrong. And it's one of those situations where you look at like shark attack numbers and like a lot of people like hear about shark attacks and then they're like, oh, fuck, like I can't go into the ocean. And it's like you are more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to get bitten by a shark. And it's just one of those things where it's just paralyzing by the amount of information that you have, but it's incomplete compared to other things right people are always thinking that they're going to get kidnapped or raped and all of these things and it's not to say that those things don't happen it's just that the amount that it happens is much more of maybe you should like look around and see if a car is going to run you over because that might happen more frequently than just you know any of these other things that happen and so it's just one of those things where you know you get enough information where it scares the shit out of you but you don't get the whole picture of like what are the chances of that thing happening and it's just it it's scary because then you are kind of put in this position where you got to go figure that shit out and it's tough because you know sharks are scary and that doesn't seem like very fun to kind of figure out and then you know even when you're told, hey, you know, shark attacks are very, very low frequency. You're much more likely to buy, die from like a bee sting and like all of this other dumb shit where people just don't think twice about it. But it's like, yeah, but I don't want to do that research. Like, who the hell wants to do that research and like prove that that's false? Like, that's stupid. Anytime someone talks about shark attacks, they should kind of couch that with, oh, by the way, like you're more likely to get struck by lightning. And just like, oh. Yeah, but okay. I feel like getting eaten cool. by a shark would suck more, you know? 
<laughs> I don't know. The, the but sting. the other thing, the bee sting the, could my, suck as well. Yeah, I don't know. My There's, pride would hurt even more than. <laughs> I don't know. The, the indignity of being eaten by a fish. I don't care how big it is. Like that's still. Oh Jesus! <laughs> uh, but the ocean is so mysterious and dark. Oh, that's that's a good know. point. That's a good point. I the ocean about... took him. All right. Yeah, this is what that. I've learned from Reddit. Hippos fucking dangerous. Oh yeah, hippos. Moose. Yeah, stay away from. We'll kill the shit out of you. Rhinos actually kind of cute, and. Sharks are like little puppies of the ocean. You mm-hmm. can just like boop them on the nose. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. little baby. Yeah. So I'm not they scared of sharks really anymore. Like... <laughs> Perfect. But it's like right, a vicious it. cycle because like people will stay insular and not talk to their neighbors and not, you know, be, but then they'll consume all this media and culture. They watch Mayor of Easttown, you know, and be like, there's a serial killer on every doorstep. You know, it's like but the hardest, it's a vicious cycle. Well, the hardest thing so to believe about. It's not the serial killer on that show. It's the incest that happens in a lot of households. First of all, spoilers. Second of all, <laughs> um, I don't know. There was probably a second. Of all. Actually, I was going to say the, the, the the uh the most unrealistic thing about Mayor of Easttown is how uh, how all these people know each other because uh, neighbors don't do that anymore. Well, they don't do well, it, you know, in where you live. Oh yeah, no, people here are just deeply hateful of each other. <laughs> I, That's I, what's I, um, fun about the show. It's because it's like they actually talk to each other. They know each other. It's kind of right. Like, it's like but it's like, like, like I don't know the if they totally love each guy's other. <laughs> engagement party, like it's crazy. Um, yeah, I um my my daughter became friends with these two girls who live a couple blocks away. And I know those girls and I know a lot about them because children love to talk about themselves. And um, I've spent a lot of time talking to their grandmother and their mother and a little bit of time talking to their father. And I do not know any of those adults names. And I know very little about them. And um, we ought to have become friends by now. It's been a couple months, <laughs> but it just That's hasn't actually happened. where Quiet Place Part 2 is a little realistic because like the way they're kind of like, oh, I kind of recognize you to like the Killian Murphy's character. Yeah. Uh, is a little bit of like, oh, y- yeah, yeah. We know each other sort of. You were at that thing. And you were, yeah. Yeah. We're on the team, you know. And oh, OK. So like we should. I, I love talking about the greater questions that this movie like raises or tackles or whatever. But I do want to say that I I am um, as a fan of like classical thriller set him up, knock him down, uh, narrative structures. I loved the Killian Murphy doing the, the dive signal to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, then that's a great callback. Oh my God. It was beautiful. Like the, the other great thing about seeing this movie is that I was able to see it, as I said, with uh, many fem- members of my family and, um, both during the movie and after the movie, just like running through all the parts again, cause I haven't been able to do that outside of this podcast, um, for quite a while because I haven't been watching movies with other people. And so, like, when we saw him do that, we were all just like, oh, my God, it's the signal. She's going to dive. And then just add on to that, the crazy awesome shit that he does, making the noise and grabbing Scoot McNary and then stabbing him in the leg. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just good times. The The editing in this movie during, like, the, the climactic set pieces, mm-hmm. I really like. I mean, yeah, that, the, that triple set piece yeah. kind of thing where they they were kind of triple cutting between Noah Jube's character and Malik Blunt's character. And yeah. then, yeah, the, they do the it a standoff. Lot. Yeah. They do it yeah. during, like, the opening scene, the, that scene, and then the, the final one in the, uh, the radio station, um, you know, Noah Jupe and Emily Blunt dying of asphyxiation thing. It makes me think mm-hmm. they're going to try to get Krasinski to do like a Star Wars movie just for oh, like, God, like, I hope act. not. Yeah, I <laughs> hope not, too. Um, I just I mean, here, the, you know, regardless of what I might think of him as a director, and I've only seen these two movies from him. I haven't seen whatever the other ones that Callers? he's done are. 
no, hollers. The briefing brief. or brief interviews with hideous men or something yeah. like that. I haven't seen the hollers and I haven't seen brief interviews with hideous men or the three episodes of the office that he directed. But I mean, like <laughs> I've seen all of the office. So yeah, any, I must've seen it. <laughs> right. I just don't want any person to ever make a star war ever. Really. I just like, I think that that is a curse upon them and upon the culture. And I think we need to take a break. I disagree, and I want more people to direct more Star War. So more war, more war in the stars, in the stars. <laughs> Good, <laughs> thank you for clarifying, Bill. Um, but yeah, no, but I mean, all three of those scenes, I think that that parallel editing is really great, and um, I loved that in this movie, the final scene when she hits the creature with the pipe. Um, you hear the sound of the gunshot, and then it cuts back, and you see the creature die of the gunshot that was inflicted by the sun. I, I understand what people are saying about no Jupe's character in this, but I mean, it is thematically you can tell like, Oh, right. He's got to learn how to like actually become like an active part of this family because his, his need to freak out and freeze up is a real fucking bummer. Um, <laughs> his need to freak out. <laughs> like, that's I relate to that. It's just like, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I like that, you know, they say like, you know, breathe, you have all the tools you need, like you can do this. And like, finally he fucking does it. He finally steps up. Um, he steps up to the plate, gets yeah. a home run. They should have <laughs> inserted the sound of a, cha- a crowd cheering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. That's um, a touchdown. <laughs> I literally don't even remember what happens to the Emily Blunt and kid in this movie, like I, re- I just remember what happens to Killian Murphy and and their daughter and the daughter. I mean, I he gets he name. gets the shit beaten out of him. <laughs> he does. Killian Murphy? No, I do. I know that. I mean, I don't know what happens to Noah Jupe's kid, the Marcus. I mean, like, I don't remember. The, he gets bear trapped or coyote trapped. No, no, then... I remember that. I just meant the end. Like, I don't remember what like, happened. He, holds, he like holds up the radio, right? He's, he walks out of the vault yeah. He's listening to like, the radio. I'm you know, my dad. But you don't hear it. You just see it Ew. in his face. I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, okay, wait, no, like it, it's happening. I, I at this point finally know what I can do and see the ways in which I can do it, and I will stand up and affect this and and do it and does it. Can I give a hot take? Uh, I would yes. love you too. I've seen, I've seen some people being like the the prologue thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, you know, it's cool. Like people like the filmmaking in it, the sequence in the car with the 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 bus. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. But some people have been saying it's pointless. It feels like Krasinski is just trying to like be in the movie real quick. And like, well, what does it really add to the movie? And I I haven't totally gotten this complaint because like a it does set up the Killian Murphy character, so you know it kind of does that, and it sets up mm-hmm. the dive thing, like you just said. It's worth it for the dive also, thing. Yeah. You need this. The first movie had so much momentum, and it ends on such a like all of a sudden like Sopranos finale is sort of like cut to black kind of thing. So like, how do you like keep that momentum going? Mm-hmm. And so the only way in my eyes, like I think it was a really smart move is like, okay, Hey, take us back to the day one thing. Show us like, it's a good refresher for, Oh yeah. The dad, he died in the first movie show them Like he's the one that they're talking about. You kind of establish that you establish the pharmacy again be, so that you understand like why Emily Blunt would go there, you know, all that stuff. I actually thought it was pretty efficient filmmaking and that way you can just cut right to the continuation from the first movie and people won't feel as like disoriented and you don't have to like cut to a set piece right away just to like have a lot of action, if that makes sense. 
Right. I also Th- think that, that, would, that would be a complaint if this film was two and a half hours. <laughs> That's right? a good we're, point. We're, <laughs> yeah. It would be like it would be like, oh, okay, yeah, they could probably trim that down or maybe cut that out. But if this movie is ninety seven minutes, like, what the fuck are you talking? Well, about? Well, also like, every like, everything that oh, that's that's unnecessary. It's like. What are you talking about? Well, this whole just, movie's literally been everything that shit. John just said. I mean, like, it, I'm sure. Sh- I, you know, yeah. I luckily I've been on vacation, so I haven't been looking at Twitter that much. Um, which is awesome. Uh, that's the real vacation: the beach, the alcohol, the family who helped me to look after my daughter, and you know, the general relaxing. That's great, but not going on Twitter that often. That's the true vacation. Um, that could yeah. be your whole life, baby. <laughs> it could you be. could just choose the right way. <laughs> I I talked to so many people. So I went to Holden Beach, North Carolina, and I talked to so many people there who were like, yeah, my family and I used to come here for vacation all the time, and then we finally just moved here. <laughs> and like <laughs> one of them was actually, so my, my brother-in-law is from Buffalo, and we went to a Buffalo wing place, and it was literally a family from Buffalo. And what does this have to do with the movie? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, you like what? Uh, I'm just what... enjoying it, Bill. I don't yeah, know come on, Bill. <laughs> Bill's looking at the fact that we're almost at two hours, and he's looking forward to saying, yeah, "Let's get I'm the like, fuck out of here." Cut, cut shit out. Cut shit out. Nope, nope, <laughs> cut the fat. I want to hear the rest of this Buffalo. Wing but basically, story. it's like so. They're from Buffalo. I run into another pe- group of people that were literally from the place that I grew up in, Severna Park, Maryland, and I was just at a certain point, like, "Oh, this is just where all the people who figured out their life went." Like this is not the people on Twitter is what right, you're saying. Exactly. These people have never been on Twitter. Um, but yeah, just like more power saying, to them. It, it sets up the dive. It, you know, it does help because the, the dad is dead and, but he's still a figure in this movie and seeing very the, much, very much. Right. And seeing, you know, Killian Murphy helps, you know, but again, even beyond the dive thing, you see him with his family. Um, and then just, you know, seeing the way that Emily Blunt and John Krasinski handle their children, the way their children are. I also think that it, it kind of realizes the, if you want to call it an issue with his character, the issue with, you know, Marcus's character played by Noah Jupe is the fact that in the first movie, he's fucking terrified of goddamn everything. Mm-hmm. And it be, it is annoying even in that movie, even though I get it. I'm sure that like a lot of children would be very terrified of that world. But like, I, I like the fact that it shows that like, oh, this anxiety disorder that he has or this this like sense of powerlessness is not just because of the sound hunting monsters. This is something that he has struggled with previously. And so it's, it's giving you a, a thread, like a continuation. Like these aren't just things that are happening to these people because of the monsters. Like these are things that they would have had to deal with in some way throughout their life, no matter what, like Millicent Simmons wasn't deafened, you know, by an explosion. Like she was, she was deaf before this happened. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Emily Blunt wasn't a fucking badass because a bunch of monsters showed up. She was always a badass who was capable of driving a car in reverse at like 40 miles per hour. And <laughs> Noah Jupe isn't just afraid of monsters. He was afraid of getting up to bat. Like this is just his life. And so it, the way that it cuts from him covering his ears when the monster kills the police officer to him covering his ears after his, his sister and his mother have killed all the, the creatures is I thought was a, a really a really smart you know storytelling visual motif to to bring up because like obviously he might be dealing with some PTSD but he was never like a type A personality to begin with and that I think sets up what he's gonna do for the rest of the movie is is continue to struggle with that and then eventually you know literally pull the trigger. I think one thing that that's kind of getting lost with some of this stuff and 
you know, I, I, I definitely agree with John and Brian about like this is necessary and it's it's actually like really well made and it's done well and it gets in and out and it starts to build this momentum but the other important thing that we can't kind of lose sight of is that there's been a decent amount of time between these two films in production right not not only the fact that like it was supposed to be released last year right um but also like young kids often grow up this is an issue that you know famously they had to deal with in lost they had to deal with in like other shows other films right where it's just like oh shit we're gonna have these same kids and they're supposed to be this is only supposed to be 400 days later and in fact in timeline order it's supposed to be like the next day it's like oh shit these kids definitely don't look the same and it's like oh Mm. why don't we just flash back Now we have them replaying themselves a year ago and boom, done. Now you don't think about that because all of a sudden, you know, you turn and you stop a quiet place one and you're like, let me go play a quiet place two. What the fuck? These kids look way different. (laughs) Now it's like it's recontextualizing them and it's kind of showing them like, okay, here's what they look like, you know, 400 days earlier. Now here's what they look like. Okay, don't freak out. You know, it's like, oh, okay. So I think I think it's it's also smart in that way where I think Krasinski and some other people were probably not given enough credit to kind of think that through and be like, yeah, that's probably going to bother some people where they're going to be like, what the fuck? These kids don't. And in fact, like uh, they were actually supposed to do a bunch of press uh, kind of. Uh, promotional stuff where they were going to play these two movies back to back. I don't know if any theaters did that. I think most theaters are like, oh, you want to buy a ticket? Please, God, yes, <laughs> like come into my theater right now. So I don't think they're they're quite, you know, hook lining and sinking people with, uh, with you know, back to back movies. But um, yeah, that was going to be kind of the promotional kind of thing was like, hey, let's do these back to back. And holy shit, it's three hours like that's it (laughs) i think that there's there is a there's also just a thing of people like picking at movies and not like they just like to think that they're smarter than movies like sure like us (laughs) well i you know that's i I try never to do that in a way that comes off as cinema sinzy you know where it's like oh like Mm -hmm. you know they they cut and suddenly it's the next day like what's that all about it's like well that's called the basic aesthetics of narrative construction and cinema. Like, what are you talking about? Um, like, I remember when the first movie came out, a lot of people were like, um, what? Like, they couldn't, like, you know, wear a condom or, like, you know, get an abortion. And I was like, are you, are you guys really not getting that this is a choice that they made? Like, is that is that somehow escaping you? That like they You would have a, no narrative without that. <laughs> right. They, they literally made a determined decision to try to expand their family. Like, this isn't an accident. And it just was weird to me that, like, I look at this and I'm like, oh, yeah, these people clearly decided to have a baby. And other people were like, oh, all children are accidents, right? And it's like, no. <laughs> also, like, you know, I know that you get, like, nine and a half to ten months to, like, prep for a kid. Um, but like, I don't think you come up with like the fireworks and the soundproof basement and all that, like, and the lights, you know, you don't come up with all of those things, like only after you've missed your period. Like those are things you start sorting out once you're like, should we try again? Yes, we should. Okay. Well, the first thing we've got to do is soundproof an area. (laughs) I mean, I assume the waterfall was where that came to play, but you know. 
That's just my uh, fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the only place it's safe to have sex is at the waterfall. I guess I've learned I guess that's so the real much. reason they never take the kids there. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, has anybody else gotten like major flowers in the attic vibes with these kids? No. Yeah. What? <laughs> Wait, saying. I've never read that. That's about incest, right? I mean, it's not about it. It's about being in like a traumatic environment where you're trapped, um, and there's no other human contact. So, like, it, it features incest. I wouldn't say that it was like, oh, that's the incest book, although that's what's famous for. Yeah. But I kind of do feel bad for these two kids that they're just sort of trapped in this situation and going through puberty it's like well it's like the frank witch. <laughs> oh well, that too <laughs> i'm sorry the vivich the vivich the vivich I mean, you mentioned you mentioned captain fantastic earlier too you know yeah which kind of dealt with that and i guess this movie if i i do want to ask about this too because we're gonna get a third one and jeff nichols is gonna be doing it i actually like that because i think that someone else should probably make the last one because I just don't get the feeling Krasinski wants to keep doing this. Well, he didn't even want to do the second one. Probably be too similar. Yeah, but yeah, in in terms of like the third one, like it looks like the world's expanding more, and like there can be a little bit more room of like other characters, and like now the kids can actually talk to people and have lives or socialize. I'm curious, like what they're going to do with it. But I this is something I forgot to mention before, and one thing I did really like about this movie is that they don't do like the Jurassic Park thing where you have to do like bigger batter dinosaurs they just kind of like the world just gets a little bit bigger like it's it's a really like subtle expansion of the it mythology is, is. instead of it being like now they're these creatures now not only can they hear you but they have like two heads and they can smell you feet tall. like they don't do anything like that and i love mm-hmm. that yeah no i mean that's that's a good point that i haven't even thought of is that a lot of people would be like all right so like what if there was i don't know like this is a bad first pitch but like what if it was bigger and it could fly <laughs> like yeah and she she can tame them and ride her motorcycle with them following her you know they don't do anything like that yeah um so what i'm seeing here is that the new one from jeff nichols which by the way is is a genius choice um as someone who liked to take shelter and midnight special a whole lot i think that he his aesthetic and his his pet mud baby i have not seen mud that is my secret shame (gasps) Hmm. um i haven't seen shotgun stories either yeah no i haven't um anyway but this is saying it's a spinoff and i i don't know what that means i don't know if it's going to be like tied in any way to this or if you know there is going to be I, I another think, one with this family you know but i mean it's i it's think still the first one ends in a way that doesn't need a sequel and i think this one ends in a way that doesn't need a sequel as well like, well yeah I, I, think I think you i think i get it you make a spin-off sequel to this movie by making it about another group of people who are like oh what's this Absolutely. like noise oh we can fight and maybe they are the people who are like all right we're gonna go we're gonna go a bug hunting you know um yeah uh also just uh, i think we should start wrapping up i just want to give a shout out to the marina people um the second that killian murphy said the people left are not worth saving i was like give me them blood cults baby (laughs) let's see some of the bad people out there and i i like i like that we get a a glimpse of them a little scoot if you will (laughs) correct um, I like that we get a glimpse of them and I like that it is, uh, it is horrifying and as creepy as you would expect it to be. And I think again, Scoob McNary for like the, the two days of filming that he did. I mean, it was funny cause it, it again, I turned to my, my, my brother-in-law and I said, is that Scoot? <laughs> How did you recognize 
recognize him. That is like absurd. Fucking McNary. No, he's a blender inner. No, I I recognize Scoot. Scoot is my man. <laughs> Ever since uh, Godless, I I know who Scoot is. Hmm. I've never seen it. I want to see it. Godless I like Merritt Weaver. Yeah, I mean that that show is is fantastic. Uh, maybe I'll start watching that again. And on that note, yep. <laughs> the only way to end a podcast about one thing is to talk about the next thing that you're going to watch. Um, speaking of which, um, what are we talking about next time, Robin? We are doing an episode on Undina, the uh, Petzold film. Yeah, the yes, Christian the new Petzold. <laughs> um, is that super how excited you say about it? that. I've been saying Undine. I'm just going by what's in the film. They just they say Undina, Undina. I haven't seen the movie yet, uh, which is hilarious because okay, hurry up, (laughs) Um, and we're doing it tomorrow. Yeah, Uh, hurry. It is only an hour and a half, but it feels like a million hours. Oh well, that's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, No, I'm probably going to watch it after this podcast um, or at some point tomorrow. What is it rated? I have no idea. It I've never looked. Unrated. Great. I was gonna say maybe I could just straight up watch it with Cora. <laughs> it's um. I think it's fine. She might be confused because it's like kind of in a different language, and it's about a well that too. But that didn't stop her with uh, Minari. So that is true. Um, yep. Just is the, like a four year old. Is there anything in this that I would have to like explain to a therapist later? There is. There's like very light lovemaking. Do you see anything? <laughs> kissy oh that's fine um spoiler alert this was the common sense media portion (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) uh like kissy there's a lot of lecturing about berlin architectural history so i'm just saying on imdb and according to imdb the sex and nudity is mild however a woman and man under sheet in bed imitating cunnilingus i didn't even remember that Okay. Kind of well, savage, well, for Robin. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, I said that that was not kinda... memorable. Okay, go ahead, John. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I'm good anyway, uh, let's just go. To under- let's get the fuck out of here. Just to underline that again, in, in Undine, which we'll uh, all of us are pronouncing differently, and which we are talking about tomorrow, and will release shortly after. Um, you and Dine, woman <laughs> and man, <laughs> under sheet in bed imitating cunnilingus um i also just want to add david strathairn strathairn none of this strathairn anyway right. so we'll be talking about undyne which hopefully i will have seen by tomorrow um even though i my my screener has expired so i'm just gonna have to rent it um that is my life anyway so look forward to that. Um, let me remind everyone to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial of movie. Uh, they've got some Christian Petzl up there on top of Last Year Marion Bed. And also don't forget to go and uh, look up your uh, your old movie podcast to uh, listen to their episode on Turkish Delight and to hear more stuff about uh, directors who had massive successes that only made a cultural impact in their home country. And again, that is the movie podcast. So check that out. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. And that is that. Uh, so yeah, uh, John Negroni, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again for inviting me. Just but of to course. show up. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we'll we'll have you back on the next Quiet Place. What what do you think the uh, the spinoff is going to be called? Quieter Place, another place, <laughs> the quietest quiet. place. <laughs> too quiet, too place. You so there you there is a movie from. I mean, there's a lot of movies apparently called Shh, um, and they are all spelled with three to four H's. Um, there's also a movie that I don't know if anyone else has seen. It's called. It's seven <laughs> S's, and it's about a guy who gets turned into a cobra. On that note. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, John, would you like to tell the people at home where they can find your stuff? Sure thing. I'm on Twitter, and that's that's the one place where you'll find just about everything I'm up to. So find me on there. I'm at John Agroni. You'll definitely regret it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Uh, Bill Graham. You can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. And then, of course, you can find me mixing it up on the Slack channel. I got a lot of catching up to do on that thing, but uh, good stuff always. Sports has been very active. Ooh, okay. Ooh. I went to a Pelicans game. <laughs> Hadn't been to baseball in like three years. It was incredible. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Robin Barr. You can find me at Robin Barr on Twitter, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. All right. Um, if you'd like to see uh, photographic evidence of my uh, trips to various places uh, in and around the North Carolina, South Carolina area, you can follow me on Instagram at Brian J. Rowan, Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, every place at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, if you go to Brian and don't J. Rowan. don't forget his, his vaccine card as well. Yes, you can find that on (laughs) Facebook.com slash Brian J. Rowan. Um, It's not on Instagram. Uh, It didn't fit my gram aesthetic. Uh, And if you'd like to read my thing with Bob. Jesus Christ. (laughs) What? You don't want to talk about my gram aesthetic? It's very boho. (laughs) Is it? I love it. 1000%. Here's a child blowing bubbles and looking at a butterfly. Hey, she fucking loves butterflies and bubbles. I don't know what to tell you. This is my daughter. Um, speaking of my daughter, if you'd like to read my essay on uh, parenthood as ultimate horror in a quiet place, uh, go to briangerone.com and uh, you can find other writings of mine as well as every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. 10,000 people, maybe more.